Are you looking for a word from God today? If so, First Baptist Dallas is glad to present this dynamic message by Dr. Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress is a premier Bible teacher, pastor, and author whose practical applications of God's truth help guide and encourage those who seek to know and follow the Lord Jesus. I know you'll be blessed. And now, the message by Dr. Robert Jeffress. Amy and our girls used to dread any time I was going to preach on anything related to the family because they knew how it was going to impact them. Convicted of my own shortcomings as a husband and a father, I would try to make up for all of the wrongs I had committed in a week's time, and they would be the victims of my misguided attempts. I remember one night in particular, I was scheduled to speak Sunday on the issue of parenting, how to be a successful parent, and by the time Thursday rolled around, I was so convicted of all the mistakes that I made that I decided I was going to go home early and make up for a lifetime of mistakes in a single evening. Now, later on, I was able to laugh about it, and I wrote down verbatim what happened. We weren't laughing at the time. But I decided to go home early and surprise my girls with a visit from Dad. So I walked through the front door. I expected the girls to leap out of their chairs and come running to me. Instead, they were glued to watching some inane sitcom on television. Girls, what have you been doing today? Nothing, they said in a catatonic state. Well, something had to happen today. I grabbed the remote control from my youngest daughter, Dorothy, and clicked off the television set. Dad, we were watching our favorite program. Well, girls, we've been watching too much television around the house. We need to play more and talk more as a family. You're starting to sound just like grandma, one of them said. They know how to really hurt a guy. <laughs> well, this is one thing grandma is right about. Why don't we play a game like Monopoly or Scrabble? We don't like Monopoly or Scrabble. We only like checkers. Okay, fine, let's play checkers. Dad, we don't have a checkered board. All right, forget the games. Julia, let's go in the family room and you can play the piano and we'll sing together as a family. I hate playing the piano, Julia said. <laughs> After all the money we spent on piano lessons, that really hurt. Girls, we're going to create some memories together as a family tonight. So let's go outside and knock some tennis balls around in the street. Overhearing the plans, Amy protests because the girls are already bathed and ready for bed. I don't care, I said. I came home to make memories with them, and that's what we're going to do. <laughs> I have the girls put on their matching slippers and coats over their pajamas. Once outside in the street, it begins to rain. <laughs> Dad, it's raining. I know it's raining, but rain never hurt anyone, I say. This is an evening you'll always remember, playing tennis with your dad in your pajamas in the middle of the street while it rains. My youngest daughter, Dorothy, begins to cry. Then my oldest, finally I give in and allow them to go inside. You know what's kind of sad about that? My kids probably thought I'd spend all day conjuring up the most miserable evening I could possibly plan for them to spend. My intentions had been good, but misguided. It's a reminder that it's entirely possible 
to make a reasonable effort in raising good kids, only to end that experience with a list of regrets. If you find that difficult to believe, consider the story we're going to look at tomorrow, to, uh, this morning. Before I get into that, let me just say a couple of words of uh, warning or disclaimer. First of all, the purpose of this message is not to heap a pile of guilt upon you for mistakes you've made about as parents. You know, the title of this series is Say Goodbye to Regrets. And the theme of the series is simply this, while we can't erase yesterday, we can make changes today that change our tomorrow and our eternity. And that's true, true about parenting. You can't erase the mistakes you made as a parent, but what you can do is make some decisions today that will change how you relate to your children and your grandchildren. I also realize that here today and watching on television, there are a number of you who would think, well, this isn't for me, I'm finished with parenting. My kids are grown and they're outside the house. If you have kids, you're never through with your parenting. A friend of mine here in the church reminded me <clears throat> last week that our role changes as a parent. We start out as a cop <laughs> when our kids are at home enforcing the rules. Then when they move out to begin on their own, we change the role from a cop to a coach, trying to encourage them to do the right thing. And then when they begin their own families, our role changes to consultant. We're there to offer advice when asked, but we're never through with our parenting responsibility. Finally, I remember and realized there are some here today who aren't parents. Maybe you're not parents yet, maybe you'll never be parents, but there are still children whom you impact, important children in your life. It may be nieces, nephews. It may be children here in the church you have a ministry with. These principles are applicable to you as well. Before we talk about how to have no regrets about your parenting, I want to look at a case study in regret. And it's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Really, these two chapters are a contrast between godly parents who raised godly children, and some godly parents who raised ungodly children. Let's look at the godly parents who raised a godly child. The parents' name were Hannah and Elkanah. You remember the story. Hannah had prayed that God would give her a son, and after a long time of praying, God answered her prayer, gave her a son that was named Samuel, which means God has heard. He was an important priest and judge in the land of Israel. And Hannah and her husband, Elkanah, not only prayed for Samuel, they dedicated him to the Lord. They sought to realize God's purpose, not their purpose for his life. They were even willing to give him up to a priest named Eli to be mentored. Hannah and Elkanah were what we would think of as perfect parents. They would have made a great couple to interview on Focus on the Family. They seemed to do everything right because Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. <clears throat> Interestingly, the priest who became Samuel's mentor was a good priest, but he was a lousy parent. His name was Eli. And we find this word about Eli in 1 Samuel 2 verse 12 about his sons. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. What is it that made these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, worthless? Well, 
The Bible says they were engaged in sin, two sins specifically. They stole sacrifices from the altar of the Lord to use themselves, and they engaged in sexual immorality. As a result, God said to Eli that his two sons would die on the very same day. And I want you to note the reason that God pronounced this judgment against Eli's two sons. It's found in 1 Samuel 3, 13 and 14. I have told him, that is Eli, that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and Eli did not rebuke them. Therefore, I've sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now, the big question is, why would Eli, a man who knew better, not rebuke his own sons when they sinned? I think we find the answer to that in Eli's reaction to the news of the death of his sons. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 4 that the Israelites went out to do battle with the Philistines, and in that battle, 30,000 Israelites were killed, including Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It was also during that very same battle that Israel lost the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines stole it. Now, listen to the news when it reached Eli, how he reacted to the death of his sons and the stealing of the Ark of the Covenant. 1 Samuel 4, 17. Then the one who brought the news back to Eli replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there's been a great slaughter among the people and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, they are dead and the Ark has been taken. Now look at verse 18. <clears throat> when he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. How would you like that to be the epitaph on your gravestone? He was old and heavy, but I digress. That's not the point. The point was he was so old and he was so heavy, when he heard that the ark had been taken, he fell over backwards and died. Thus, he judged Israel for 40 years. What I find interesting is, what sent Eli over the edge, so to speak, was not the news that his sons were dead. It was the news that the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. You think, well, that just shows what a great and godly man he was. He cared about the things of God. He was more concerned about the things of God than he was about his own sons. No, that's called misplaced priorities. He was more concerned about his ministry to others than his ministry to his own sons. And the story of Eli reminds us that the road to parental failure is often paved with good intentions. We can be trying to do the right thing with our kids and make many mistakes. I imagine Eli, as he looked back over the years with his sons, had a number of if-onlys when it came to raising Hophni and Phinehas. Using that story as a background, I want to suggest to you today four foundational and more importantly, biblical commitments we have to make if we're going to eliminate 
reduce the number of regrets we have about our parenting. Commitment number one is this. I will spend time with my children. I will spend time. Every other thing we're going to talk about this morning requires time, both a quantity of time and a quality of time. I remember reading that a century ago, parents would spend 54% of their waking hours with their children. You know what the figure is today? 18% of our time is spent with our children. Now, you can rationalize that and say, well, people are a lot busier today than they were 100 years ago. Not really. If anything, modern technology, whether it be things like microwave ovens or washing machines, mean we have more free time than people did 100 years ago. It's how we spend that time. If we're going to eliminate regrets, we need to spend more time with our children. I hear that from parents. If they have any lament at all, it's looking back and saying, I wish I had spent more time with my kids. How do you do that? How do you direct more time with your children? Let me give you a few ideas. First of all, learn the go-home principle. Learn the go-home principle. You know, Very few productive things happen in an office after 5.30 or 6 p.m. in the evening. You can shuffle papers around, talk on the telephone, but learn to go home when the day is over. If you have to attend an evening meeting, stay for the meeting, but don't stay around chewing the fad afterwards. Go home to be with your family. I remember reading an interview with movie director and producer Steven Spielberg years ago, and he talked about this. He said his wife allowed him to work when they had small children with this condition. He had to be home at 5.30 every day. Now, he could find all kinds of reasons for not to be home at 5.30, but he went ahead and followed that principle to be home with his small children, and his movies didn't suffer a bit. He's still the most successful producer and director in history. Secondly, negotiate with your boss for a flexible schedule. A growing number of corporations are adopting flex time policies that are more family friendly. If that's a possibility, negotiate for it. Third, and this is so key, refuse to allow other people to set your schedule. A mentor of mine used to say, you better determine what your priorities are or somebody else will determine them for you. And if spending time with your children is a priority, build that into your schedule. You know, there was a period of time on my weekly schedule, I had the important things on my schedule that I thought were important. Number one, studying, preparing for Sunday's message. That's the most important thing I do. Other things on there. But I found, you know, the one time I could really spend time with my kids was on Saturday afternoon. I'd spend Saturday mornings reviewing the message but I blocked out Saturday afternoons. And for a little while, I used to treat that as flexible. I'd spend time with them unless anything else came up. But I realized I had to be committed to that as I did about preparing my message during the week. And so I'd write that on my calendar. Somebody might call up and say, we're having a wedding. We'd like you to do a wedding for us at 11 o'clock. And I'd look at my calendar and I'd frown and said, oh, I wish I could but I've got another commitment, which was the truth. I had a commitment. It was to spend time with my kids. I said, could we do it? Let's do it at 11 o'clock. Could we do it? Well, sure. There's no problem with 11 o'clock. 
What I'm saying to you is you've got to be as committed to spending time with your kids or your grandkids as you are any other important task that you have. Refuse to allow other people set your schedule. Fourth, stay focused with your children. Stay focused with your children. You know, it's possible to be with your children physically and be someplace else mentally and emotionally. And if I have any regrets as a parent, it is those Saturday afternoons. I was with my kids physically, but mentally, I was at last Tuesday night's deacon's meeting. Or I was engaged in a conversation, an imaginary conversation with somebody. Or I was spending time worrying about something that ended up never happening anyway. If you're going to spend time with your kids, be there. Physician Ross Campbell, in his book, How to Really Love Your Child, talks about focused attention. What is focused attention? He said, it's giving our child our full, undivided attention in such a way that he feels, without a doubt, completely loved. That he is valuable enough in his own right to warrant your undistracted watchfulness, appreciation, and uncompromising regard. Spending time, the commitment to spend time with your kids. Commitment number two for regret-free parenting is this. I will create lasting memories with my children. I will create lasting memories with my children. It's important that when your children are gone, they be able to look back at the time they spent with you as a museum of wonderful memories. How do you create lasting, positive memories with your children or your grandchildren? Author Stephen Kramer explains what he calls the three R's of memory making. Let me expand on them for just a moment. The first R is routine. These are things that you do daily or weekly with your kids. Uh, it may be a meal, one meal a day, breakfast or dinner that you have together as a family without smartphones or television or computers. It may be the way you close the day together or begin together, reading a Bible verse or having a prayer time together. It may be weekly, having a family night or having a game that night. Just remember to get the checkerboard before you try that. But things that you do day in and day out, these are routines Second R is ritual, ritual. You know, it's interesting that the Jews had so many special days and holy days. God gave them these special days for a reason, that even when they were separated from their homeland, they would find stability in these rituals, special days. Special days for us might include holidays like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. It might be how we celebrate each other's birthdays, but there need to be rituals. One ritual we have found especially important in our family is a vacation. It's been that way for 30 or 35 years. It's not so much the destination, it's the idea of spending one or two weeks with your family and nothing else to concentrate on but giving them your undivided attention. I talked one time with one of my mentors who's known for his emphasis on the Christian family, and I asked him, what's the most important thing you did as a parent? And he said, my wife and I made a decision that we were going to apportion a large amount of our budget to family vacations. 
In fact, he said, instead of leaving our children a large inheritance, we decided to spend their money while they were still, uh, we were still alive, creating memories of taking them on trips and things we could always look back on with a great deal of fondness. Have those kind of rituals with your family, holidays, birthdays, vacations. And then the third R stands for the ridiculous. <laughs> there ought to be just fun things you do as a family to provide excitement in your family. And they don't have to be elaborate or expensive. Dr. Kent Hughes in his book, Common Sense Parenting, says that he and his wife would put their children to bed, turn off the lights some nights, and about 15 minutes later, they'd walk in, turn the lights on, and yell out, pajama ride. And they would all get in the car in their pajamas and drive to the local Dairy Queen to get a blizzard. And then some nights they'd yell seconds, and they'd get in the car and go across town to another Dairy Queen. Those kind of things provide excitement in a family. We're going to look next time at a verse, Ecclesiastes 9.9, that relates to our relationship to our mate. Solomon said, you only have a short time on this earth. Why not devote your time and energy to the one you love most dearly? That can also be expanded to your children. You only have a short time with your kids. Why not devote the energy and time you need to the children you love? Commitment number three, I'll spend time with my children. Secondly, I'll build lasting memories with my children. Number three, I will discover and develop my children's gifts. You know, one of the most often quoted but least understood verses in the Bible about parenting is Proverbs 22.6. Most of you can say it by memory. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. Most people misinterpret that verse, and they end up disappointed. They think that verse is a blanket promise that if you take your kids to church and read the Bible to them and train them, they will never depart from the Christian faith. We know that's not true. We all can think of examples. We may have examples in our own home of children we've poured spiritual truth into. They wander away and never come back. Now, it's true. If you train your children in the principles of the Lord, they have a better chance of coming back than if you don't, but there are no blanket guarantees in the Bible. That's not what this verse is about. What is the meaning of this verse? The key is train your child in the way he should go. The way he should go, a legitimate translation of that Hebrew phrase is train up a child according to his bent. In other words, recognize the uniqueness of your child, his unique gifts and interests, and maximize those because he's always going to return to those. If your child is bent toward athletics, he's always going to be pulled toward the soccer field or the football field. If your child, boy or girl, is a leader, they're always going to be pulled to places of leadership. That's their natural bent. Train your child, maximize your child's uniqueness and their bent, their interest in life. How do you do that? Well, we need to remember uh, every child, as James Dobson says, is every child is hand-stitched by the Lord, not mass-manufactured in a sweatshop. So remember, your children are unique. And to understand their uniqueness, number one, ask the right questions. I've given you a list on your outline 
of 10 questions Dr. John Maxwell says every parent should be able to answer about his or her child. That will help you discover whom your child really is. Ask the right questions. Secondly, make the necessary sacrifices to develop your child's unique bents. You know, one of the things I'll always appreciate about my parents is the sacrifices they made for us to discover our unique interest. <clears throat> Sometimes people ask me why in the world I picked the accordion to learn how to play. Well, it's real easy. My dad played the accordion. And I remember this like it were yesterday. When I was five years old, I walked in to where my dad was practicing, and I said, Dad, can I take accordion lessons like you did? And he said, sure. And so my parents spent 13 years hauling me across town twice a week, spending thousands and thousands of dollars for accordion lessons. And yet, that was important for my development as a minister. You say, well, how do those things you know, work together. People ask me all the time, how in the world do you stand up and say the audacious things that you say before thousands and millions of people? What gives you the courage to do that? And I say, it's easy. If you've learned how to stand up and play an accordion, you learn not to care what anybody thinks about anything. <laughs> Makes you tough. But anyway, my parents, they made the needed sacrifices. And thirdly, if you're going to train up your child according to his bent, accept the results. Realize your children may not turn out like you envisioned. They may go a different direction. That's okay. You know, one of the greatest ways to avoid regrets as a parent is to be able to look back on your years with your children and say, I accepted, I discovered, and I maximized my child's unique bent. Fourth, how do you engage in no-regret parenting? The fourth commitment is this. I will exercise appropriate discipline with my child. I'll exercise appropriate discipline with my child. As Eli looked back on his experience with Hophni and Phinehas, <clears throat> I imagine most of his if-onlys dealt with this area of discipline. Let me help us learn positive lessons from Eli's failures. Let me point out four mistakes Eli made in disciplining his sons. First of all, he didn't begin early enough. He did not begin early enough. Again, 1 Samuel 3.13, God gives the reason for killing Hophni and Phinehas. Why this judgment? Because Eli did not rebuke them. And yet, that seems unfair because, in fact, Eli did rebuke them. We find in 1 Samuel 2.25, Eli said to his sons when he heard the news of their uh, disobedience, if one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if he sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But his sons would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Do you see the conflict there? God says, I'm judging you, Eli, because you didn't rebuke your children, and yet we have a clear case here where he did rebuke his children. How do you reconcile that? Here's the problem. Eli waited too long. He waited until his sons were young adults to try to correct them, and by then, it was too late. He didn't begin early enough. Jot down Proverbs 13, 24. Solomon says, he who withholds his rod hates his son, 
But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. You know what that word diligently means in Hebrew? It means literally at early dawn. That doesn't mean you wake up your children at 5 a.m. to beat them to death. That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about early in life. You begin this discipline as children. If you don't, you will have waited too long. The second mistake Eli made was he was not consistent in his discipline. Notice there were two things the boys did wrong. They stole from the altar of the sacrifice of the Lord, and they committed sexual immorality. Yet when Eli screwed up the courage to confront them, all he mentioned was sexual immorality. He never mentioned the stealing from the Lord's altar. Why is that? Now, this is just speculation. Could it be Eli was guilty of that same sin? So he dared not say anything to his boys about something he was guilty about. Was this the chink in his own spiritual armor? We don't know the answer to that. But what we do know was he let his boys get by with one thing without mentioning the other thing. He was inconsistent in his discipline. What are the mistakes Eli made? Thirdly, he was not observant about his children's behavior. He wasn't observant about his children's behavior. How did he find out about their misbehavior? From other people. Look at 1 Samuel 2.22. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. And then when he confronted his sons, what did he say to them? Verses 23 and 24. Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. The Lord's people were gossiping about it. Did you hear about Hophni? Did you hear about Phineas? Have you heard what they're up to? You know, again, this is a little bit of sanctified imagination, but I think it's pretty accurate here. Eli seems to be more concerned about what people are saying about his sons than what his sons are actually doing. Have you heard what other people are saying? What other people are saying? He should have been concerned about what his sons were doing, not the report others were circulating. And again, I think it's another case where Eli was more concerned about his position as a priest than he was in his responsibility as a father. Finally, Eli's mistake, and this is the foundational mistake, he did not teach his children to fear God. Ladies and gentlemen, the most important thing we can teach our children, our grandchildren, is that there is a God. He is always watching. He's always evaluating. He's always judging. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Remember, this was a day in which people were being struck down by God just for touching the Ark of the Covenant. This is a day in which people were being slaughtered by God because they offered a sacrifice to God that he hadn't authorized. And yet here were sons who didn't mind stealing things from God. No thought about it whatsoever. They didn't possess a fear of the Lord. Now, I want to be very careful about how I say this. You've heard me teach for years, and I believe with all my heart 
that the most important discovery we can make as a Christian is what our spiritual gift is and to use that gift in serving Christ in the church. We've all been called to use our gifts. Your Christian life will never be complete until you discover your gift and use it in ministry. But having said that, we need to remember that our most important ministry, not our only ministry, our most important ministry is to our own children and grandchildren that God gives us. If we lose our children to the kingdom of Satan, we have lost everything. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. No one moving, no one leaving for any reason. I realize among almost all of us, there are regrets we have as parents. Understand, you can't change those actions, but you can receive God's forgiveness if you're willing to ask. And most importantly, you can make decisions right now to change your behavior, to improve in some areas in your relationship with your children and grandchildren. Maybe God has identified it for you right now, some things you need to seek his forgiveness for. God, I really messed up in this area. I know I fell short. Please forgive me. But then ask God to give you that resolve, that ability to make those changes right now that you know you need to make, whether it's in time spent with your children, discipline that you exercise with your children, teaching your children to fear God. Make those changes right now. You know, the greatest regret I can think of for any parent or grandparent is yet future, and that is to be taken to heaven, to stand in the presence of God and realize you have children, grandchildren who will spend eternity separated from God. Can you imagine facing all eternity with that knowledge? The most important thing you can do for that child or grandchild is to lead them to know Christ as Savior. And you can't do that if you've never knelt before Christ and trusted in Him as your Savior. The greatest spiritual legacy you can leave for your children and grandchildren is that they know there was a time in your life when you trusted in Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to welcome you into heaven. If you've never made that decision, why not do it today? Not just for yourself, but for your family as well. Today, if you would like to trust in Christ as your Savior, I invite you to pray this prayer in your heart as I prayed out loud, knowing that God is listening to you. Pray this with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know I have failed you in many ways, and I'm truly sorry for the sins in my life. But I believe what I've heard today, that you love me so much you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to take the punishment I deserve to take for my sins. And right now, I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me, not in my good works, but in what Jesus did for me to save me from my sins. Thank you for forgiving me and help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of Dr. Robert Jeffress and everyone at First Baptist Dallas, thank you for joining us today. 
Our hope and prayer is that the biblical truth of this message will continue to be a blessing to you as you apply it to your life. For more information about First Baptist Dallas, we invite you to visit our website, firstdallas.org. May God bless you richly today.